Amen. Thank you, Joel. Uh, man, it's good to be with you guys today. I really do cherish these moments. It's like everybody's kind of coming back today. Uh, a lot of our college students are back, right? Y'all are all on spring break last week. We had a really intimate service last week. Uh, and most of you slept in if you were acting like you were on spring break, but we're glad that you're all here today. Um, we've got a few announcements uh, for today. March 24th, which is this Friday, we're hosting a date night for um, families for families. So it's parents with foster kids. If you're interested in volunteering for that, you can reach out to Steve Dupree or Caleb Noggle. Uh, those, both of those guys are here. Um, and they'll help you get set up with that. It's a great opportunity to serve them. Um, March 26th, which is a week from today, uh, we've got a couple of things. Right after service, we'll be having a kid, kids leader training and an interest meeting. So if you serve in kids or if you want to serve in kids, please come to that. Uh, we've got some really important info. Along with that, um, if you do have kids that are going to be in service, uh, we ask that when, as soon as we kind of wrap up our service here, I know it's really great to fellowship, but if you would go pick up your kids and then come back to fellowship with us uh, in, the, in the after time, uh, that just helps us be able to clear out because we've locked down some security so that we can put all the chairs back into where those kids are at uh, because we don't want the, we don't want us to just walk into where the kids are does that make sense with all the chairs, right? So we want to keep those doors locked. So we can't put the chairs in the room until all the kids are out. That makes sense. Okay, I'm fumbled through that one. We got that. All right. <laughs> Go get your kids. <laughs> awesome. Um, that evening, so after I fumble through that one, we have the Brant School of Theology. We'll be ta talking about soteriology. So um, that will be right here on the 26th as well. And then the last thing that I want to bring to your attention is that we will be having a Good Friday service on Good Friday here uh, at 6 p.m. in the gym. And I encourage all of you college students that, are, that call this your home church uh, to invite your parents to come to our stuff that weekend. I know it's tempting to go uh, home where your parents live to go to church that weekend, but have them come and see what God is doing in the church here in Dahlonega where they've sent you for two to four years, and uh, so they can see how God is moving. We'll be baptizing people on that Sunday, so if you want to uh, see, uh, if you want to be baptized, please let us know. Uh, we would love to connect you with that and get you baptized on Easter as well. All right, that's all the, the paperwork that we've got. So let me pray, and we're going to jump into Exodus 25 today. Father, you are holy. You are beautiful. You are righteous. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you've given it to us, even passages like this that we come to and are confused at in our personal study. Um, I pray that we would see your beauty and that we would behold your face today, that we would see how awesome you are, that you are even mindful of us. Lord, I pray that we would see your mercy and your grace through Christ, and that we would come to a better knowledge 
of who, who you are and that our lives would honor it. So, Lord, I pray that you would use the words that are coming out of my mouth to pierce our hearts this morning. We love you and we praise you. And it's in your son Jesus' name that I ask these things. Amen. All right. Exodus 25, 1 through 22. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram's skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense, onyx stones, and stones for setting, for the ephod, and for the breastpiece. This is like a holy fundraising campaign. So, uh, I don't know, maybe we'll start fundraising for a building, y'all. But uh, verse 8, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. I want you guys to earmark that in your mind. This is that's a, be a really important verse for us today. Verse 9, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, you shall make it. And they shall make an ark of acacia wood, two cubits and a half shall be its length, a cubit and a half its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold inside and outside shall you overlay it. You shall make on it a molding of gold around it. You shall cast four rings of gold and put them on its four feet, two rings on the one side and two rings on the other side. You shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and you shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark by them. The poles shall remain in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. And you shall put into the ark the testimony that I shall give you. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its breadth. And you shall make two cherubim of gold. Of hammered work shall you make them on the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub on one end and the other one on the other end. Of one piece of the mercy seat you shall make the cherubim on its two ends. The cherubim shall spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings. Their faces one to another toward the mercy seat shall their faces be. And you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. There I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in the commandment for the people of Israel. All right, lots of cubits, lots of things. There's so much in there uh, that I would ask that you would go and do some personal study. I, we're not going to be able to touch everything in it today, um, but let's look a little bit deeper. All right, so verse 2 through 7. Uh, this is the list of the contributions from the people, right? That's all the linen, the goat skins, all those things. We have some beautiful and rare colors like blue and, and uh, red and purple, precious stones and beautiful gold, and that's all going to go into the tabernacle. 
It was something that the, the people of Israel sacrificed from their, what had been given to them, what they have rampaged from Egypt, that God said, go and take from Egypt and bring into the wilderness. It was taken from Egypt, given to them by God, and they sacrificed it out of their personal things to give to the Lord, right? There was sacrifice, there was worship. But it's also Moses and God drawing a picture of what the heavens looked like, right? So if you see what it, where it says, God showed Moses the tabernacle, or the, what God showed you, this is what you're going to tell the people to make, right? And so when Moses sees this, this beautiful thing, he starts to picture in his mind, all right, what in the, what in the world, literally, can we use to make this picture of what heaven looked like, right? And he starts trying to describe it, and he uses all of these things, the, the purple, the red, the goat skin. He's like trying to imagine what, how can we let people see what the presence of God was? And to give it a nice little word, it was beautiful. It was amazing. It was holy and set apart. And so they start to picture this place, and when the priests were to go into this place, the tabernacle, they enter into the presence of God, they enter into beauty. This sanctuary is full of beauty. And we should see beauty as a signpost that points us to a more perfect beauty. Right? So as they walk into the temple, they're seeing all these gorgeous, awesome things. And it's to point them, to remind them that heaven, the presence of God, is amazing. It's beautiful. So the first thing I want you to think about today is that earthly beauty points us to heavenly perfection. Earthly beauty. So when... Uh, when I think about this, I've got a, a buddy of mine who wrote a song, and he talks about, he did this like year-long mission trip, and he wrote this song, and uh, it says like this, it, it talks about all the things that he saw. He says, I'll look into my grandson's eyes, and I'll tell him about Honduran skies over hills and countryside lit, lit up by city lights, ancient Guatemalan streets and silent Filipino beaches with stars upon the sky like sheets as crashing waves make melodies. I've seen the beauty and the bliss of all my father's fingerprints, but oh, I've only caught a glimpse. The beauty and the bliss of our father's fingerprints are all over creation. And I want us to see today that when we look into the world, the world that God has made is beautiful, but it is broken. The most beautiful things that you've ever seen, right? Rolling hills in Kentucky, whales jumping out of water. I think of my bride walking down the aisle on our wedding day. The first time we heard Pierce cry, or the one time that he said, I want to ride in daddy's truck. I think about the way it feels when you accomplish a goal that you've had set for a really long time, that feeling, or the beautiful stars in the middle of a night sky, the power of a rushing river, 
or the magnificence of a mountain range. It's beauty. But in this world, every ounce of beauty that you've experienced is still touched, marred, crushed by sin. Even if you have 20-20 vision and perfect pitch, you're still experiencing everything that's under a curse of sin. And so while that beauty should draw us to look and say, wow, God, you are awesome, it should also draw us and say, man, it must be so much greater. Heaven, the presence, the full presence of the mercy and love and grace of God is beautiful. And we've only seen a glimpse of it when we look at and imagine and remember the most beautiful things that we've seen on this earth. So our Father in heaven has made a beautiful world, but sin has corrupted it. And the beauty in the temple should remind us of that, that there's a a hole in this world. The awesome thing about the temple, too, is that it is God's plan to renew this broken world. His plan begins in the tabernacle. His plan begins with presence. And one day, every bit of beauty that we have, everything that we've seen or experienced here on earth, it will look strangely dim in the light of God's glory and grace. It's an old hymn. The things of this earth will look strangely dim as we look on God's glory and his grace. It is beautiful now, but goodness gracious, can you imagine how beautiful it will be? Hope you have spiritual eyes to see that today. Verse eight. And let them make me a sanctuary, a place that I may dwell in their midst. God's plan for redemption has always been his presence. He's going to redeem this earth. He's going to do it by bringing himself to it, his presence. Does our God intend to dwell within our midst? He does. This is a huge gift, especially think about to the group of nomads and the Israelites. They're wandering around. All they've imagined in Egypt is not a God that walks with them, but a God that has to have a permanent place in in a temple. Before God brings the temple that he has in Jerusalem, he brings the tabernacle, which means God is on the move with his people. How awesome is that? It says, as he is fixing a permanent dwelling, he is coming up and he's saying, I will go with you because I'm not tied to a place, I'm tied to a people. God is with his people and he says, you are my people and I am your God. And just as God chose to dwell with his people in the tabernacle through Jesus' death and resurrection, he has made you his tabernacle. When the Spirit comes and dwells with you, he has chosen to take up residence in our lives. Now, his presence can bring you peace. It's not like a, not a, not a, not fuzzy feelings. That's not what God's about. God's not just about bringing you fuzzy feelings and warm butterflies, but peace that surpasses understanding. That's knowing that you have peace with God, that there's no shame 
There's no guilt. There's nothing that you can bring to God. And that sounds sad at first, but in all reality, that is freeing to think about the fact that you have nothing to offer God. And what has He chosen to do? Be with you anyways, right? He's with you. And that should bring us peace and joy. But because of Christ, we can have the presence of God in our lives to transform us into a person of love, into a person who brings the kingdom of God into the world. And in the same manner that these earthly things were consecrated, the, all the ram skins, the goat skins, the claws, the twine, all those things were consecrated for a heavenly purpose. God has declared that through His Son, Jesus, you are a new creation. You have been consecrated for His dwelling place. He can take up residence in your heart, your mind, your soul, and even in your strength. And he's made you a beautiful new creation in Christ. And now wherever we go, we take God with us. God dwells in the tabernacle. God dwells in you, right? Wherever you go, He is. Now, He's omnipresent, right? Which means He's everywhere all the time. But to, that was also true when the tabernacle was there. So He was everywhere, but He was specially there in the tabernacle when the priests were making the sacrifice. In the same manner that he was specially there, he's specially with you, though he is present everywhere. Whenever you walk into the room, the Spirit of God, one, he goes before you, but also he is with you. And so you're taking that same peace that you have, that same love that he's given you, you walk into a room with that love to disperse to others, with that peace to disperse to others with the kindness, the self-control, the goodness, the faithfulness. You take that and you move it into Kroger. My question to you is that have you remembered that you are a living, walking, breathing tabernacle of God? Have you paid attention to the way that you've built your life around the ways of Christ in the same manner that the Israelites were instructed to pay close attention to the way that they built the tabernacle? Because yes, we have been forgiven. I want us to see today that because of the presence of God dwells within us, it should change us. We should pay careful attention, like Jared was talking about a few weeks ago, careful obedience to Christ as we walk in our lives. And so what was the tabernacle built for? What was the purpose of the Ark of the Covenant? It's so that God could set up residence with his people in a unique way. And now, for us, by the fruit of the Spirit, the love of God, the justice of God, the patience of God, the goodness of God, the kindness of God, takes up residence in this broken world because you have Christ if you believe that he is who he says he was. He's the son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life. If you believe that, you have the spirit of God in you. You are a tabernacle for him. 
All right. Let's keep rolling. Verse 17 through 22. I'm going to read this again because it's been a minute since we've been there. This is talking about the mercy seat. Before we do that, mercy seat. How many of you guys have ever seen like a picture of the Ark of the Covenant? It looks like it's a little small to have a seat in it, right? All right. So if you haven't seen it, it's not like a throne, right? Mercy seat, just another way to, to think about it is like a cover, right? So it's like the top of the Ark of the Covenant, right? And it's this, I don't know how big cubits are, but I'd imagine it's probably more like this than it is like this, a seat for me to sit in. All right. So when you think of mercy seat, don't think of a chair. Think of like a cover or a lid. All right. We good? Sweet. Let's keep rolling. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be its length and a cubit and a half its breadth. You shall make two cherubim of gold. Of hammered work, you shall make them in two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub on one end and one cherub on the other end. One, one piece with the mercy seat shall you make the cherubim on its two ends. The cherubim shall spread out their wings above overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings. Their faces one to another toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. And you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. And in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. There I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. Can anybody remember the first time that we saw two cherubim? Let me think. Genesis chapter 3. All right, I'm going to read that. This is after Adam and Eve sinned. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. What does this show us? God is reminding the people that sin separates man from experiencing the full presence of God and that God is making a way for his people to experience the full presence of God, right? The Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, is God's way of showing them that they were separated, but that he is making a way for them to re-enter back into relationship with them. The two cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant, they signify that, right? That that would be the place where God chooses to meet them. That was where the lifeblood of the animals would be sprinkled on the mercy seat. This beautiful gold, two bird-looking things next to uh, this beautiful room, the beautiful shiny object would be sprinkled or mopped or covered with blood. And that's where God said, I will meet you. I'll meet you in the place where life is poured out. The mercy seat or the place of atonement is where life is poured out. And because it is where God, because of that, it is where God comes to meet us. Right? 
God meets with Israel to give them life where life is poured out. He gives them his presence. He says, I will meet you right there where that sacrifice is made, at the mercy seat. How many times have you asked yourself or God, what was it like before the world was broken? Or what was life like in the full presence of God's love? How beautiful were the trees? Could all animals talk? And would I be able to dunk a basketball? Right? Like, these are the things, I don't know, from when you were five years old to probably when you're at least 28, where you're like asking, man, how awesome was it before there was brokenness in this world? We long for Eden, for paradise. We long for a a life and a world that doesn't have any more sin in it. We desire the full presence of the peace of God. And what's awesome is that God is making that possible. In the making of the tabernacle, he shines a light towards us and says, I'm bringing paradise to you. I will make a way for you to re-enter the place like the garden. I will be with you. And this points us to Jesus, because in Jesus, the fullness of God dwelt. And in Jesus, life was made available. Jesus is our life. And in his death, God meets us and he atones for our sin. And in his resurrection, our sin and death are conquered. And because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we will be made new for a greater Eden, a paradise that cannot be lost. We'll experience a place where sin has never had an effect. Incomparable beauty and joy. We'll see God in his light and in his perfect love. We'll have rest that doesn't depart from us and peace that does not retreat. There will be no sadness or no time or reason for tears. We were made destined because of son because of the son of god for that place of perfection and this is the picture that the ark of the covenant and the tabernacle the beauty of the tabernacle the beauty of the ark of the covenant and that god says i will meet you in the place of atonement i will dwell with you there because of that that's what we have a beautiful picture of in the gospel you to rest in that that you would open your eyes to the, that beauty. So, this week, as we go to the table, I want you to look at the bread and at the cup. It's a beautiful picture that reminds us of the cross. He said, on the night that he was betrayed, this is in 1 Corinthians, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper. And he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So as we remember what Jesus has done, take a moment.
and behold God. All that means is to look at him. Behold his beauty. Behold his mercy. We sang uh, only a holy God when we were opening up service today. And it's come and behold him. Right? To look at him, to gaze at him. So as we go to the table today, don't just go. I was going to say willy-nilly, but that sounds silly. I just said it anyways. Don't go back there without taking the serious understanding of who God is and what he has done for you. There's beauty in the broken body of Christ. There's beauty in the spilled out blood of Christ for you. It's beautiful that God desires to make his life your own. That he would give up his life and give it to you so that you can have life eternal and abundant, joy, peace, goodness. Behold his steadfast love. So go to the table in excitement that he has made you his dwelling place. He no longer dwells in a temple or a tabernacle, but he dwells in you, believer, today through the death and resurrection of Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this beautiful picture of heaven, for a new Eden, Lord, that where there's no more sacrifices to be made because you've made the greatest sacrifice. Lord, I pray that as we go to the table, that we would be grateful for the cross, that we would not go and uh, take it lightly, that we would see that it is pointing us to a perfect reality where your, where your life covers our sin. God, we thank you that you've made us new creations in Christ. And because of that new creation that you've made us into, Lord, you dwell with us and in us. You go before us. Lord, I pray that we would remember and know that you are good. We thank you for taking our sin, taking this brokenness of this world, and nailing it to the cross and leaving it in its grave. Lord, and giving us new life through the resurrection of Jesus. We thank you for the cross. Amen.